Hello and welcome to the PHBC Pastors Podcast, where we seek to bring biblical and pastoral insight to everyday issues for the people of PHBC. I'm Brian. Yes, you are. And so it seems like, man, another week is here, but it seems like we just did this. It's crazy how these things work. Um, But a new week is here and a new series is here. We are entering into a bit of a systematic theology series. I'm super excited about it because I'm sitting across from a PhD in systematic theology. Y'all, do you understand the mountainous sums of money others would pay to be treated as such, and yet we get it free of charge? Uh, what a blessing. PhD, piled higher and deeper. That's what PhD is. Is that what that stands for? for um, so we're going to take the next two months or so and work through eight of the most central tenets, the kind of eight pillars, so to speak, of systematic theology, just to try to cover our Christian foundations. We will by no means cover all of it, but hopefully by the end of it you'll have a good idea of a a kind of well-rounded picture of what we as Christians believe and and a little bit of why we believe it. Um, So today, week one, we are starting with the Word of God, and then we'll move on to different subjects uh, throughout the series. But before we even get into... The Doctrine of Scripture. Before we even get into the Doctrine of Scripture, Pastor Brad, systematic theology, that's something that we hear fairly regularly in the church, but could you just define it really quickly? What what does that phrase mean? So, systematic, meaning so in, so an organized way, so it's a system, an organ, so uh, the best way I know to explain to people is so systematic theology would say, okay, you want to know what the Bible has to say about itself, about what scripture is? Well, systematic theology then will organize all, everything the scriptures have to say about theology and write a chapter or write a book about that or do you want to know what the Bible has to say about what's called theology proper or the doctrine of God um, or the doctrine of Christology meaning the doctrine of Christ um, or harmardiology there's a big fancy Ooh. word for it right? the doctrine of sin um, you're already getting your money's you're worth you're already getting your money's <laughs> worth right there you, you can impress people with, with, with your that's from the Greek uh, for uh, sin, uh, our mardiology, and so um, and so, it's it's just, if you will, in, instead of looking at the broad, you know, how does this how does this doctrine develop in Scripture, which mm-hmm. would be more in that realm of biblical theology. Yeah, it's uh, what is what does the Bible have to say about this particular doctrine, and that's systematic theology. There you go. That's that's super helpful. And so we're going to begin that system, this organized approach, uh, with Scripture. Uh, Most, I I would say that's a fair statement, most systematic theology textbooks would begin there. Would would you agree with that? So there's usually a debate whether you should start with systematic, start start systematic theology with the doctrine of Scripture or the doctrine of God. That's exactly what I wanted you to get into. Keep going. so, um, So since theology is the... Theology means the study of God, theo, from the Greek for God, and ology, to study. And so, uh, so since theology is ultimately about God, should, shouldn't we start with the doctrine of God? But then the problem then becomes is, well, how do we know what we know about God? Um, and so there are two types of revelation, uh, which I'm sure we well, let's just get into those. There's two types of revelation. There's general revelation, which is accessible to everyone, so that God has revealed himself. The heavens declare the glory of God, mm-hmm. um, Psalm 19. And so so we can see in general revela- revelation, even even those who, who 
aren't Christians can recognize in general revelation that that we live in a universe that is not um, here by chance. That there is there is order to it. There, the universe screams out to us that that there is a maker behind it. Now that doesn't necessarily mean though it has to be the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So this is general revelation. It's general revelation is not enough to save us. And so what we know about God, we know through what's called special revelation, which would be um, the doctrine of scripture. And so where, where God has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word. And so in what, in other words, through the Bible. And so in the Bible, we believe we have the very words of God. So God inspired men to write uh, scripture. And so so the foundation then for all of our understanding to understand specifically who God is, not just generally who God is, but mm-hmm. specifically who God is, is that God has chosen to reveal himself in special revelation to us. And so so that's the foundation. Scripture is the foundation for how then we understand who God is. And so we start then with systematic theology, and you're correct, most systematic theologies do start uh, with the doctrine of Scripture as the foundation. Um, and remember, off the top of my head, I can't think of any that don't start. I know there are some, but I can't right now off the top of my head think of um, any that don't start with the doctrine of Scripture. There you go. That, that's fantastic. There is so much in there. I uh, want to pull on a couple of those threads. Um, so here's so we, we've we've covered a few twenty five cent words. Here's maybe not quite twenty five cent, but at least a dime. Uh, inerrancy. So that's a word that often comes up when we talk about scripture. What does that word mean, and why is it so important? So the word inerrancy means that in the original autographs. So uh, and by autograph we that word. So not like, hey, can I have your autograph? Not that one, that <laughs> way. The the original autograph would be. So when when Paul, for example set down to write Romans. Um, that original papyrus or whatever he was writing on would be the original autograph. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for the record, Paul probably wasn't actually the one actually doing the writing. He had a, a secretary or what's called an amanuensis who would, have, who would have scribed for him, would have written. So Paul would have dictated the letter, if you will. But that original piece of paper, we would say, God inspired the men, so this would be First Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, that, that God, through the Spirit, spoke through men. And so since God is perfect, God was directing their thoughts, um, and God is without error. Therefore, those original autographs were protected from error. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they are inerrant. Um, there, there is... There, yeah, well, there's, there's no error in those original autographs. Now, we don't have those original autographs, but what we do have is we have literally over 25,000 ancient manuscripts um, that make it possible for us to put, put together with a very, very high degree of certainty, like over 99.9% degree of certainty, yeah. uh, what those autographs look like. So even though we don't actually have, we can't, you know, you can't, you won't go to any museum in the world and go, ah, here's the piece of paper that Paul wrote on. We don't have that. Uh, we do have some that go that date back all the way uh, to the uh, to the late first century, early second century, uh, but we don't have any of the originals. Uh, but nevertheless, we we can be very confident as Christians that what we hold in our hands when we hold the Bible is indeed uh, a a 
a faithful uh, copy of what was intended for us. Um, and so therefore we say that the Bible is inerrant. Um, now that doesn't mean, by the way, that all of our interpretations of the Bible ah. are inerrant. And so I may read the Bible and I think, well, I think it means this. And somebody else reads the Bible and I think it means this. And so we have denominations where, you know, one denomination says it's okay to baptize children. And another denomination says, no, it's not okay to baptize children. And so I thought the Bible was inerrant. Well, the Bible is inerrant, but we're a bunch of knuckleheads. And so as we read the Bible, sometimes we come to conclusions that the Bible is not teaching. Um, and so our interpretation of the Bible is not always inerrant. Uh, but the Bible itself, we can trust, is inerrant. God did not make a mistake. Um, every word, every letter um, is important in the Bible. Uh, wonderfully said again. And so to, to emphasize the significance of this doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture, again, we're, we're building an entire systematic theology on what the Word of God says, on what Scripture says. And so if there are holes in that, if they, well, you know, Sure, it says that, but what actually, then the whole thing crumbles. And so inerrancy is absolutely a central component to this doctrine of Scripture. This is not something we can give up. Sure, it says that Mary was a virgin, but we virgins don't concede. She did that time, because the Scripture says so. So so when, when, when when we have the idea that that we can determine when the scripture is speaking the truth and when it's not, then we've placed ourselves over scripture. And so mm. now the authority no longer lies in the scripture and God's word, the authority, now we become the authority. And usually what that tends to do is we tend to create a God in our own image. Rather than being yeah. created in the image of God, we create a God in our own image. And so uh, I've heard people say, um, praise God, none, I've never heard of somebody at PHBC say this, and I hope I never do, but I've heard people say um, in church, well, the God that I love yeah. would never do this or would never do that. And, you know, frankly, I don't care about the God you love or the God I love. I want to know who the one true God is. Yeah. And so, um, in the Bible, then, is because the Bible is inerrant, I can know the one true God through the Bible. That That's perfect. Excellent. Um, so, a couple of things on just the Bible. So... God inspired the biblical authors to write exactly what he wanted them to write. How do we get from there to today with, there's probably a dozen Bibles in this room and, you know, probably a hundred more scattered throughout this campus, um, each of them containing 66 books. Uh, so just how did we get this Bible put together from God inspiring the original authors to today? So, the Old Testament, I, I would say, is, should be fairly easy for Christians to understand. The 39 books of what we call the Old Testament mm-hmm. uh, were the same 39 books that Jesus um, affirmed as Scripture. And so, if Jesus is going to say, yeah, this is the Word of God, then I don't know, any, you know, as a Christian, I'm not going to say, well, Jesus, I know you thought it was the Word of God, but I'm not sure whether I agree with that or not. And so, Jesus, um, we find Jesus in his ministry uh, quoting or alluding to I think just about every book in the Old Testament at one time or another, and so so the the Old Testament is is you know or the Hebrew Scriptures as I I like to refer to them mm. um, because I don't I don't sometimes when we talk about oh, that's the old yeah that's old and so that's you know we want stuff that's new shiny and new well 
and and there's nothing wrong with calling it Old Testament so long as we don't have that idea that well that's old. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to say well those are the Hebrew scriptures and uh, and uh, the New Testament the the 27 books of the New Testament uh, are and there a number of different genres so different styles of writing some of them are gospel uh, one of them is historical um, a number of them are epistolatory or letters. Um, more than more than half of the books are epistolatory. Oh yeah, and um, and then there's um, apocalyptic. So that would be the book of Revelation, <laughs> and um, and so those books were um, were widely accepted. So they they were all either written by an apostle, or they were written by a close associate of apostle. So for example, the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew the uh, the also called Levi, the tax collector, who was a disciple and an apostle of Jesus. Yeah. And Mark, on the other hand, Mark was not an apostle, but Mark uh, was was a close associate of Peter um, and com- accompanied Peter um, while he was preaching in Rome. And so Mark, uh, Luke, also not an apostle, but was a close associate um, of Paul. And of course, you have all the Pauline epistles um, and the like. But so all of the scriptures were written by, uh, number one, by a trustworthy individual, mm-hmm. um, somebody that we can trace back to, again, either an apostle or to a close associate of an apostle. And they were all accepted, and or I shouldn't say accepted, they were all recognized very early on, yeah. very early on. Um, so even in, even in the early second century, so that's the 100s, we already have lists. Where where people are making lists of these are the books that are scripture. Yeah. Um, it's not until um, in the in the fourth century when the quote unquote official list comes out, um, but long before that, and hundreds of years before that, we already have lists where where Christians are recognizing the twenty seven books of the New Testament, and so. And so we have received them. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is we don't make something to be canonical, mm. to be a part of the canon. Yeah. We recognize it as a part of the canon. And so, and that recognition happened very, very early on in the church. There you is go. Is that the question you're asking? Absolutely. No, that's, that's perfect. Thank you for walking us through that. Super helpful and gives us great confidence in uh, the word that we have. Uh, final question for you. Uh, what is the sufficiency of scripture, so trying to think of how we then live in light of scripture, how we apply it. What, what what does that phrase mean? The sufficiency of scripture. Well, it means pretty much what the name implies. That it means that the scripture itself is sufficient. So in Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, three, we know that uh, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work and so we don't need scripture and this Mm -hmm. other document we don't need for example um as our dear friends the mormons would believe we don't need we don't need the bible and the book of mormon we don't need uh, uh you know the bible and this other book to understand who jesus is the the we don't need to even understand uh, not 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 even something. If we want to understand what does it mean to live a godly life, 
the Bible by itself is sufficient. We don't need anything anything else. Now, that's not to say, well, therefore, I shouldn't read anything else. And so, <laughs> Pastor Brian, why do you have 1,500 books in your library if the Bible is sufficient? Well, I, I hope uh, that the vast, vast majority of those 1,500 plus books in my library are people who are meditating and thinking faithfully mm -hmm. on the scriptures. And so... Uh, and so then they help me to also think and meditate faithfully on the scriptures. Yeah. And so so when you read another book, you're not saying, oh, okay, the scriptures aren't sufficient. Uh, but when you rely on that other book and you think that other book, well, the Bible, by when you, when you think the Bible by itself isn't enough for me to truly understand who God is or to truly understand what it means to be um, a husband to my wife or to, to be a to be a member of this church or what have you and the Bible's not enough for that um, now you've crossed the road um, where you where you're denying that the scripture itself is sufficient and so we want we don't want to go there we want to say that the scripture itself is sufficient excellent uh, anything else you want to bring up on this subject of the doctrine of the Word of God Read it, meditate <laughs> on it, pray over it. Um, so I make, I, I, for the last number of years, I don't know exactly how many years, I, I read the Bible through every year from cover to cover. Um, I do different plans just to kind of spice it up, so to speak, a bit. Uh, this year I'm using the McShane, the Robert yes. Murray McShane plan, where I'll read the entire Old Testament once, uh, I think the Psalms twice, and the New Testament twice. Um, in the course of a year and um, but yeah nothing nothing at all uh, will be a substitute for reading it for yourself and so uh, one of the one of the objections I get sometimes from people is I just don't understand it and so the reason oftentimes we don't understand is we haven't spent enough time yeah. in it and so you might not understand it the first time you might not understand it the tenth time you've read through it but as you continue to read through it, you, all of a sudden, your mind starts to, be, to make connections. You say, wow, what was written here in Exodus? I see that happening all the way over here in the New Testament. And you start making connections, and you start going, that's what they mean. And so, uh, beloved, read the Word of God. And um, there are apps for that as well from Ooh, last week's uh, conversation. Uh, that you can find an app uh, that will help you read um, or just sit down with your a cup of morning coffee, if that's your thing, and, um, and spend some time in the Word. There you have it. Well, thank you for joining us, y'all. This is going to be great. I'm so looking forward to these coming weeks. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of fun. We're going to learn a lot, and uh, Lord willing, be more like Jesus for it. So uh, thank you, Pastor Brian, for your time. Thank you, dear listener, for your time. We'll look forward to seeing you next week on the PHPC Pastor Podcast.